0: Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers, I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers.
1: So I hope and pray that my words spoken today and all the other speakers here today will say something that will touch your heart, your soul, your life, that you will walk away blessed and inspired to reach out to the broken, hurting, and lost people who need to know that there is hope. Almost a year ago, this Tuesday, October the 15th, I experienced every parent's worst nightmare, the death of my 15-year-old son, Justin, who decided to end his life it has been almost a year, and it still feels sometimes like a thousand years, and then other times it feels like it was just yesterday. So much has changed during this past year, yet so much remains the same. Monday, October the 15th, was just the original day for me and my family, so we thought Justin had stayed home from school because he said he wasn't feeling well, so me and him had text throughout the day because I was at work. Around 1.15, he sent me these last words, I love you. I said, I love you too, but what did you do wrong? I thought he was telling me this to try to butter me up where he knew I was going to his school that evening to a teacher-parent conference meeting. Little did I know those would be his last words ever told to me. A few minutes later, I received a phone call from his sister telling me to get home immediately that she had just called him after receiving the same text. She had asked him if he was okay. He said he wasn't, but he was getting ready to be and hung up. She kept trying to call him back, but he wouldn't pick up. My heart dropped to the ground as I left my job in a panic, shaking as I was trying to hold the steering wheel to drive. With tears blocking my vision, a million thoughts raced throughout my mind as I was driving. When I had gotten a hold of Jason on the phone about that time, I seen a sheriff's office vehicle pull out in front of me and turn his lights and sirens on as he started speeding. I knew right then and there where the officer was headed to my home. I began to have a panic attack. I couldn't breathe as I followed the officer. He pulled into my driveway the same time as I did. I ran to my front door. As he asked me, "Ma'am, is this your residence?" I said, "Yes, it is." He replied, "Well, we got a 911 call from a mail here, stating someone had been shot." My hands were shaking so bad I could barely unlock my front door. As I turned the doorknob, my dog ran in under my feet as I walked inside, and I heard this: my child scream out a yell out a scream, a cry that I had never heard before. I didn't even recognize his voice. And then I heard another noise, a bang. I tried to look where the sound had come from, but I saw nothing. Everything went black and dark. I couldn't see a thing, like someone had blindfolded me. I heard the officer yell, Get back. Shocks happened far as he was on the radio calling for more help. I ran into my front yard and collapsed to my knees as Jason was pulling in. I cried out like a wounded animal praying to God that my son was all right, that what I had just heard was just firecrackers or that maybe someone had broken into her home and the noise I had heard had come from them and not my son. I prayed and prayed that if it was my son, that he would be okay to just hang on until more help arrived, until I could get to him, But my prayers weren't answered the way I'd hoped for. At 1.39 p.m., my life forever changed. I will never be the same girl I once was. That was the time my son took his last breath. The time a part of me died along beside my youngest child. A time my world shattered into a million pieces. There is nothing but prepares a parent for that horror that is of a child loss. My life forever divided into before and after. As long as I breathe, I will grieve and ache and love my son with all of my heart and soul. I held him in birth as I held him in death. There will never come a time I won't think about who my son would be, what he would look like, and wonder what he would be doing. The day it happened, Pastor Jeremy arrived at her home. He told me to lean on God, that he would give me comfort, because he is near and close to the brokenhearted, to pray for him for strength, to be like David in the Bible after he had lost his baby. I said, I can't. I'm mad at God right now for taking my son. He said, that's okay. God understands. Just don't stay there. The next couple of minutes, hours, and days, I just wanted to curl up in the bed, throw the covers over my head, and slowly die. I asked God, why? Why my child? Why my family? Why me? I asked God, why didn't you just take me? I have already lived half of my life. My child hadn't. Two days after my son was gone, my mother-in-law had a vision of him. She tells of how she looked out the window and saw him sitting and rocking in a rocking chair on the front porch of an empty white farmhouse. She said he looked so calm, so peaceful, and he stared out into the green pastures. She assured me it wasn't just any old ordinary farmhouse, that it was white as snow with the greenest pastures of all you'd ever seen. Psalms 23, this scripture came to my mind. As at his funeral, I received a beautiful quilt that had Psalms 23 on it. This is why I ended up putting the words Psalms 23 with an angel on Justin's headstone. Days following Justin's death, it seemed like everyone but me were having dreams or visions of him being at peace. So I prayed and asked God if he would let me know that he was at peace, that his soul was with him in heaven. I couldn't find any peace. No reassurance, no matter how many or how much people told me he was just a child, that he made it into heaven. But the devil tormented my mind day and night, making me question where he was. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. All I could do was cry. But one night, God heard my cry. One night, as I had fell asleep, I dreamed I was standing in a big room with glass window all around me by myself. I looked out, them up into the sky... There I saw big white fluffy clouds as they parted back to let me see my Justin. There was this bright shiny light beaming down over top of my head, brighter than the sun you would see at the ocean on a hot summer day. There Justin was standing so tall, so handsome, and so brave beside his headstone, one that we hadn't even ordered for him yet. He never spoke a word to me, but God did. I heard his voice say, He is with me now. I have him. As soon as I heard these words, I woke up with tears streaming down my face. I knew right then and there I needed to make sure one day I could go where he was at. So that following Sunday, I woke up with a heavy burden on my chest to come to church to thank everyone for their generosity, prayers, and love for me and my family, which Jason got up and spoke beside Pastor Jeremy, I couldn't. Little did I know that morning, me, my husband, oldest daughter, Erica, and her husband would all go up front when Pastor Doug asked if anyone wanted to get saved or rededicate their lives back to God. Nine months later, me and Jason got baptized again. I felt like my life had come full circle. Over 30 years ago, at the age 10, I got saved here in this church. A year later, I was baptized. Six years later, I would dedicate my firstborn child here, and here I stand today doing something I would never imagine doing, and it sure hasn't been an easy road to get here. I've had to face many struggles, heartache, pain, rejection along the way. I've learned that you can be lost in the pews and found in the world, or found in the pews and lost in the world, and you're never outside of God's grace. God uses the most broken. God uses the most unqualified people in the world's eyes because he uses those people like me to get the most glory out of it. God doesn't disqualify you when God has... People don't disqualify you when God has qualified you. God doesn't doesn't want a perfect person. God wants to transform that person to give other people faith. Many people don't know, and many may do, that I was put into foster care when I was 10 years old. I had the best foster family any girl could ask for. The day they got me, the day they got a very broken little girl. They got a little girl who was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. They got a little girl who had already been through hell and back in her short 10 years of her life. From her biological father abandoning her at two weeks old, to going to bed at night hungry and cold, to being abused for two years of her life, to being bullied in school because I didn't have new nice clothes like the other kids had, to not ever feeling loved. My foster family introduced me to God, unconditional love, discipline, honesty, and hard work, respect, along many more things. But I let them down by becoming pregnant at 16. Even though I never turned to drugs or alcohol to numb my pain from my past, I did, though, turn to many failed relationships, trying to fill that empty void. Instead of finding love, I found myself in abusive relationships at times, cheated on, lied to, and used, as if it all just left me feeling more lonely than ever. During those times in my life, I never forgot how to pray, and honestly, it's the only thing that saved me from my despair many lonely nights. I've had to learn that you can't change people, only God can. It's easy to focus on what's wrong in your life and what you don't have and how big your problems are. But if you are not careful, you will lose sight of all of the good things God has done for you. Don't take for granted the family, friends, and opportunities He has blessed you with. Many people think because you are a Christian, you have such a happy, peaceful, perfect life and you don't face personal struggles. That's not true. I believe you face even more daily struggles as I did. What I have learned, that is, I'd rather go through those struggles with God in my life and then not having Him in it at all. Such as one cold night in the month of December, I was up at Justin's grave, where I was at my lowest, questioning my purpose, my existence to life. I stood there shivering with a blanket wrapped around me as the cold wind blew through my hair, and I felt the sting of the air on my face. I told God I was tired of hurting this bad, tired of crying, tired of feeling so long in my grief. I just couldn't do it anymore. I begged him to just take me out of this world and let me go where my son was, that he needed me as much as I needed him. The thoughts of my child's body buried six feet under a cold, cold ground was tormenting. The way his skin felt so cold the last time I touched it, unbearable image, I will never get out of my mind such as his last cry out. As I stood standing there thinking about being buried beside my son, God spoke to me and said, I'm not done with you yet. I've got great plans for your life. I said, okay, God, if you're keeping me here for a purpose, show me the reason why. The next couple of weeks months, he did start to show me why. When I started getting private messages or approach from adults to teenagers sharing their own personal struggles with anxiety, depression, cutting their cells, bullying, or suicidal thoughts. In helping others, it has helped my own heart heal in ways I never imagined. I find healing through telling my story and being Justin's voice. I began to see that my writing journey and speaking out is another way I can honor Justin's memory. I need to know that even after his death, his life can still have meaning, that he can still have an impact on others in the world, even though he's no longer physically here. So if sharing my story helps someone else, I feel like this is the greatest way to honor him and to comfort myself. We can't handle pain unless we understand there is a purpose. The gospel doesn't offer painless life here on earth, but it does offer us meaning, which makes pain bearable. All the why questions, the biggest one for me is why my child, why my family. The prayer I prayed more than any other prayer went unanswered, but explanations never comfort. Grace is not the absence of the struggle, it is the present of protection. We are all imperfect and no one is without flaws. When things happen to you, they become your life message. It's been over 16 years since I said hello to a handsome baby boy that made me a mother again for the last time. And almost a year ago now, that has been my toughest goodbye. said to a boy that stole my heart over 16 years ago, learning how to live without my son. It's been a kind of torment. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. There will always be a hole in my heart. The size and shape of my son, nothing will ever change that. Both the love and the pain I will always carry for him is immeasurable. I've had to learn how to survive and how to live again, both for myself and in honor of my son. I hope to live in a way that makes him proud and leaves a lasting legacy in his honor Connecting with others who have experienced child loss has helped me tremendously. I have never felt so alone, and I wasn't for sure if I could survive or would survive. Breathing felt impossible. There aren't ways to describe it. Once I was finally able to claw my way out from the despair, from the depths of despair, I knew I wanted to create a safe heaven for others so no one would suffer like my son did. Justin was a loving, caring, humble prankster, big-hearted, humble boy. Losing him had a big impact on our family. We are dealing with his loss in our own ways. There is no timeline for grief, no roadmap, no wrong or right way to grieve. You and only you get to decide how you'll survive this. Healing is a journey, and I've had to come through losing my son to be able to speak to you today. If I hadn't went through all of this, I wouldn't be able to share my journey, my testimony today if it wasn't for my test. I know God has a bigger plan for me from here. Sometimes what God has asked you to do isn't what you want to do. I would like to thank in closing everyone here today who has prayed for me, my family, and still does. Thank you again to Pastor Doug and Jeremy for making today possible. To my husband and family here today, thank you for loving me when I'm unlovable. Thank you for never giving up on me, for continuing to encourage me on the days when I lose myself to grief. We've been through so much together, good times, bad times, happy times, sad times, but the hardest life-changing thing we've ever had to go through was the day we laid our sweet chest to rest. To my Heavenly Father, Please prepare me today for the plans you have for my tomorrow. I'm ready for the growth required and the fears I must face. Strengthen me like never before and help me beyond my comfort. Teach me to rest in you and how to stretch for you. Continue to give me strength. You're more faithful to me than I deserve. Your love is touching every part of my life. Thank you for not counting me out. Thank you for accepting my child into your kingdom, for watching over him, for protecting him. Last but not least, to my precious Justin, I can't wait till the day I get to join you in heaven. I can't wait to run through those pearly gates to find you. I know you will be standing there waiting on me as our eyes will meet, and I will get to see that beautiful smile of yours again. And we will run to hug each other, for there will be no more death, no more separation, no more tears, for God will wipe them all away. You are so, so missed. Every day I ache for your hugs, your love, to hear you laugh again, to get another text from you. I won't ever stop being your voice, fighting for you, loving you, or being your mom. Continue giving me signs that you are close by. I will forever be missing and loving you. To everyone else here today, please be kind always, for you never know what is in someone else's mind or heart. Our lives have been damaged by the loss of our wonderful son, Due to him being bullied, please don't let it happen to your family or any other family. We have a collective responsibility to prevent other young lives being lost to unkindness and bullying. Take a stand against it. And I have to be honest, while the real reason I'm here today is because me and the enemy had some unfinished business to take care of. Because it was this past year, he thought he'd finished me off. He thought he'd have my mind. He thought he'd have my life. He told me suicide was the only way out, and I've came back to serve. Notice on hell that you don't have the last say-so, but God does. Thank you.
2: So how can we get, how can we make sure that this doesn't get repeated? That's the reason we're here today. That's the reason we started off seeing the end result because the purpose of the service this morning is not just to memorialize all those who we've lost. And by the way, there's two candles on this table. One is in memory of Justin, but the other is lit, is lit for those who have lost loved ones to suicide in memory of them. And we appreciate you. And, and so how can we get and make sure that this doesn't keep repeating to others and other families go through what this family has been through. And that's the, part, that's the reason for this second part of this service today. Um, my next guest is with me this morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what we see happening in schools and what we as parents and families can do in our homes to safeguard, against our, safeguard our kids against uh, things like this. And so I want to ask Brother Greg Mullins to come and join me this time. Brother Greg, would you, would you come? Let's give him a hand this morning as he comes. Tell us, uh, first of all, what do you do for a living?
3: Yeah, I'm in education. I am the principal at Honecker Elementary School. And
2: I appreciate you coming and being with us today. This is a, a tough subject for everybody. It is. But it's also something that, that you see as a principal um, in our schools today. And I know you you principal of an elementary school, and a lot of times we think that's, that bullying and suicidal thoughts are something that only uh, teenagers deal with, but it's starting to affect a lot younger kids now, isn't it?
3: Uh, well, I can't say for sure, but I do know that a lot of times what happens is just like what you all said, the person doesn't want to tell. They're ashamed of it for whatever reason. And basically in my conversations with Pastor Doug, as he asked me to come do this, is we've got to encourage our kids to talk. We've got to make sure we listen and uh, get others on board with it.
2: Absolutely. Uh, The state of Virginia defines bullying as any aggressive and unwanted behavior that is intended to harm, intimidate, or humiliate the victim. It involves a real or perceived power imbalance between the aggressor or aggressors and victim and is repeated over time or causes severe emotional trauma. Uh, bullying includes cyberbullying, and so it's important that we understand what bullying is, but also we need to understand what bullying is not. It goes on to say that bullying does not include ordinary teasing, horseplay, arguments, or peer conflicts. You know, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. He's not a Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a Steelers fan. You know and i can I can rib him you know on over games and who won and who lost, and things like that, but that's not bullying but now, if I started punching him and hitting him and it was it kept being a repeated thing over and over, then uh that would become bullying, wouldn't it, according to this definition so it's inter we need to know the definitions of this so um what exactly is cyberbullying, for those who may not
3: understand what that is? Cyberbullying usually takes place over communication devices, electronics, and there are so many things out there now that the adults don't understand everything that's going on. Uh, sometimes when I talk to our students about, you know, the different things that they can run into with pictures and, and texting and sexting and all that stuff that goes on, uh, there's forms of communication that, that I don't know that's out there. So I kind of make light of it and say, well, you got Instachat and Snapgram, and they kind of laugh and correct me on it. But uh, there are so many of those things that, that they get on and they talk, and, and there's no face, really. When you're posting a comment, Facebook, uh, we, tend to use, we, we tend to call Facebook the devil. Uh, there's no face behind it. You can type something, say something and you just wait for somebody to react. And you don't see their reaction, you don't see the hurt that it causes. Uh, The same thing can happen in reverse with these pictures, Uh, Instagram or Snapchat, you know. Am I getting so many likes? Nobody liked this picture so I'm taking it down. I didn't get 20 likes and probably they want more than that. Mm -hmm. But those type of things, that bothers kids too. Because they put this up there and they're wanting, they want people to brag on them or see that they did something good and nobody's responding to it. It's a self image problem. A self image problem. And it, and it happens really quick to them and they don't know how to cope with it. And a lot of the coping skills is taken out because you can see kids within 10 feet of each other instead of having a conversation they're texting somebody else or maybe each other, you know, it's, it's kind of where we're at with that stuff today. Yeah. According to the
2: Cyberbullying Research Center, approximately 5.4 million students skip school at some point in the year due to bullying every year. Either bullying at school or like you were talking about, cyberbullying. Uh, and that's a lot of students that just decide to stay home because of this problem. Now, uh, as you mentioned, you talk about social media. You know, there are apps that allow people to send a message to somebody, uh, and it'll disappear ten seconds later. And they think that uh, well, there's no evidence saying that I did it, and they just that gives them the freedom. Uh, if they were thinking that way, or think about doing something, or saying something mean to somebody, they think they can do
3: that, and they're wrong. And so they're wrong. Law enforcement yes, can get that, and we do encourage parents if they do come in and say this happened on Facebook or they Snapchat or they texted. Or this happened on PlayStation last night. Mm -hmm. Now, don't think just because it's PlayStation that things can't happen. Xbox, any of those things, there's still a means to chat on there. Uh, And, I mean, it's very scary. And we try to do things to protect our children. And we had an incident uh, last year with this young girl. We all have Chromebooks in Russell County from fourth grade up. Kids get to take the Chromebooks home. And a lot of lessons are delivered, and there's a lot of good that comes out of it. But there's some kids and this mama was trying to protect her child and she didn't allow her to have any of these apps, any of this texting. So she wanted to chat with her friends. So somebody told her of a website. She got on that website and was chatting with her friends, but that website was open to the public, and a forty-some-year-old man contacted her. So, I mean, there's a lot of dangers in that, too. So, yeah. mean, we're looking at all kinds of different stuff. So, how important is parent involvement in a child's life? First and foremost, parents, you, they're going to get mad, but who bought the phone? You're the parent. And all the church said? Yeah. I mean, that, that's where we say, well, well, that's their phone. No, it's not. It's yours. You're allowing them to have it get the passwords, Absolutely. check on it, there's there's different apps for us parents, I don't understand all of them myself, but there's apps that you can get and see every contact they make, yeah. every phone call that they make, every text message that they get, and and it's very important to, to get in there because before, you know, I, I, I know me growing up, if I was talking to someone on the phone, I had that long cord strung around the side of the hall, <laughs> and I was sitting down there and, and then, you know, didn't have call waiting, so... operator would buzz in and say, you need to get off the phone. Your uncle's trying to call your mother. But it's not like that now. And, you know, uh, a lot of our our coping mechanisms and everything is, it's harder for us to deal with that now. Absolutely. Um, I had reached out to Cumberland Mountain Services
2: and asked them to be with us today as well. Uh, Many of them were out of town this weekend and the timing just didn't work out. So, they weren't able to be with us, but they said if we ever do something like this again, they would definitely want to be here with us. But you are the first one who, who told me about them, Cumberland Mountain Services. What are some of the things that you have seen as far as they can help with schools or with families
3: or individuals? Well, sometimes that, uh, the parents will contact Cumberland Mountain, and our school is fortunate. And some of you may be familiar with family preservation or, or things like that that's in schools. And they do offer programs and assistance for, for families for students, you know, uh, and, and don't write any of that stuff off and, and don't be ashamed to go there, okay? There there's some parents that, uh, well, I don't want to do that right now because I don't want people to think ill of me, but if you have diabetes, do you go to the doctor and get treated? I mean, yeah. depression, anxiety, those things are very important too and need to be taken care of. Uh, Cumberland Mountain has many services. They have therapeutic day treatment where maybe the counselor will just go by and check on the kid during those times when maybe they have meltdowns or maybe things are happening, uh, they may have issues going on at home that they may need some extra help. And, and um, you know, in the, in the instances of any type of uh, self-harm that we've had to deal with at our school, uh, the student who's going to do it has never come to us. It's never been the student that's going to do it to themselves. It's been a friend. It's been a friend. And, and that's one thing that uh, Pastor Doug and I talked about you know, we've got to encourage our kids to talk. We, You know, I, t- I tell my students, and I know I say Mr. Bush back there, and I know he tells them too, that if something's going on, you know, find me. Find a custodian. Find a teacher. A cook. Some adult here at this school let us know. Uh, with those that were wanting to commit self-harm, a student told a teacher. A teacher reported it. We contact the parents, go through all that. And Cumberland has a crisis program that they will work with those students. And, you know, in the couple of instances we've had, we've had good success, so I'm, I'm happy to report that. Yes. It was a sad situation that got us to that point, but, you know, we did, we did end up having success out of that. Exactly, and that's at the elementary school
2: level. So, I mean, it's just, you know, different things. That just shows you that there is no age limit when the devil attacks people. He comes at everybody everywhere. One and, last thing. We, we had,
3: are pre K through seven, so we are kind of a middle school too. So we yeah. have some older kids.
2: Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, I forgot about that. But uh, one last question, real quickly, I'll let you go. Um, what is one thing as a principal that you would like to say to parents? Uh, I'll let you. I'll give you a minute to think about that. I, I want to thank our sheriff for being with us today, and so many other community leaders here today. This this tells us that this is not just isolated incidents. This is something that, as a community, it, it really bothers us, and we want to we know what we can do to fix it. And so from a principal's perspective, not necessarily fixing that problem, but what is something that you would like to share from, your, from the heart of a
3: principal to our parents? Well, you've, you've got to teach kindness, and you've got to show love. And you got to love these kids. And I know our teachers, they love the kids, and, and I think that's what helps our school and the success that we have with things is, you know, if if you're not there and you don't love the kids, then maybe you need career counseling uh, because that's what you're there for is to take care of those babies. Uh, The one thing is, you know, always be open, always talk to your kids, have that conversation. Uh, You know, they're your kids, they're your babies, and and I mean, what we've heard up here today, you know how important that is, and, and, uh, you know, I just praise the Lord for giving y'all strength to come up here and talk. That was that was awesome testimony. But uh, you know, let's let's teach kindness. Our Sunday school lesson this this morning was choose kindness. And uh, you know, basically, there's so much input. And I don't know how many of you are into the. I I, I went to school when the the computers were just getting started. So uh, has anybody ever heard of GIGO? G I G O maybe not but garbage in garbage out out. and right now is what we're facing parents kids it's garbage in garbage out the things that these kids are taking in we may think you know hey they're on YouTube they're watching something educational maybe not okay you've got to monitor that Uh, you know sometimes the YouTube they get so wrapped up in that and You know, even watching TV now, some of the language that's on there is just crazy. And I know some of the stuff we deal with, they've let that garbage get in and that garbage comes out. I mean, it shows their heart and what's going into it. So we've got to police that as well. Uh, Just, you know, if you see something, say something. Basically is what it is. Teach your kids that. Teach yourself that. When you see something, say something. If, uh, you know, they see somebody else get mistreated, go say something. If they're getting mistreated, go say something. Absolutely. And sometimes you'll find out in the process of that that the kid that was actually doing something to the other one, I didn't realise I was being a bully. I didn't realise I was being that mean. And I, I've seen that happen and a and kid make a total change because they didn't want to be viewed as that. And so, you know, it it goes for both sides and, and I think, you know, you know, take care of your kids, see something, say something keep that communication open. Pray for both sides on this, okay? There's something missing in their heart if they're having to attack yes. your child or, or you or whatever, yeah. and they're trying to fill a gap, and, and you know, Jesus is the answer, That's right. but a lot of people ain't want to take the test, okay? Yeah. So we've got to make sure that, that we let them know that and that we love them and that we'll listen to them and there's no silly questions. And don't be ashamed of that. I mean, you know, a lot of us have medical issues we're not ashamed of it. We'll share that with you, but do we share that we're depressed because of something else that happened in our life? Sometimes we don't. We tend to hide that. Yeah. And we need to need to be thinking about mental wellness and how we can make things better for, for everyone and just choose kindness and be good to each one each other and love each other. Absolutely.
2: Thank you, Mr. Bullins, for your time. Let's give him a hand this morning. <clears throat> Appreciate you. I want to share a few things with you as quickly as a Pentecostal preacher can, all right? And then we're going to let, uh, we're going to have a time of prayer for those who need prayer because I'm believing that God is willing to heal and restore uh, hearts and lives today. Uh, We've heard a lot this morning about bullying and suicide and Over 47 studies have been conducted on bullying and suicide among students in grades kindergarten through 12th grade, not only in the United States, but even in China, Australia, the UK, and Finland. And overall, they found that the youth involved in bullying in any capacity, both the bullies and the victims of bullying, were more likely to think about and attempt suicide than those who were not involved in bullying. In other words, bullying is bad for everybody. And, it's, and even the bullies, as Mr. Mullins just said, a lot of them, there's something missing in their lives, and they're trying to uh, fill that gap, and they don't know what to do. You know, bullying doesn't just happen to kids at school. Sometimes it's adults in the workplace. Uh, sometimes it's online, as we've already talked about. Uh, and sometimes it's even in the home. Uh, you know, home is supposed to be a safe haven from the storms of life. But what happens when a kid's main problem is at home with their family? What do you do then? Where do you go to escape that? Uh, I say that because years ago I was called to testify in court on behalf of two children who were being bullied. Uh, The boy kept saying that he wanted to die, that he'd be better off if he was dead, and he did end up trying to harm himself. Uh, His sister was younger than him, and she was cutting herself with razor blades, she actually showed me the scars on her arms, and she had actually taken a razor blade and carved the word fat on the inside of her leg because someone said that she was fat and ugly, and she wasn't. But that's what she. Was, that's, that shows you the power of words. And in this particular instance, the bully was their dad. He was the one that was abusing his own children, And so I had to be called into court and had to testify, at least just share what what the kids had told me. And uh, when the judge ruled, they were removed from the home and placed in foster care. Now the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As fathers, you are to be the peacemaker of the home, not the one that causes war to break out. In fact, uh, statistics tell us that if a father gets saved, 93% of the time, the rest of the family will come to know the Lord as well. You know why? Because families follow the dads. Dad, you are the leader of the home. You are the spiritual leader of the home. And Satan knows that too. And that's why Satan knows if he can get the dad, he's got a good chance of messing up the whole family. Because the dad's going the wrong way. And so I want to say right now, thank you for bringing your family to church today, dads, and for being a godly example throughout the week for your family to follow. Thank you for that. You know, one connection that they did find between bullying and suicide is a lot of bullies have low self-esteem issues, and so they tend to pick on someone smaller, weaker, or different from themselves. And a lot of people who commit suicide do so because they have a bad self-image of themselves. But if these people could see themselves the way God sees them, it could change their life. Jesus can change bullying. Jesus can stop suicide. See yourself the way God sees you. That's what we want to happen today. This is how we stop from getting to that end point that we've talked about. You know, last Sunday, David Wells was with us. And one of the things he does as a Christian instrumentalist, he goes around to public schools and holds anti-bullying school assemblies. And one of the things he tells them, and and I quote, he said, everybody gets bullied. Go to a mirror and you'll see the person who bullies you every day. The words you say, your thoughts, and your actions. Have you ever told yourself, I'm not talented enough? I don't have enough money. I don't have the right connections. I'm not smart enough. I don't live in the right city. On and on. You are bullying yourself even with the the words you say. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 6 verse 2, you are snared with the words of your mouth, and you are taken with the words of your mouth. Brothers and sisters, it's not always the people outside that are causing us problems. Sometimes we are believing the words coming out of our own mouth about ourselves. You know, this past, a few days ago, October 10th, was World Mental Health Day. And a person's mental health plays a big part in how they act and the decisions they make. Good mental health is related to mental and psychological well-being. They tell us that close to 800,000 people die by suicide every year. That's one every 40 seconds. By the time this service is over, over 135 people will have died today. For every suicide, there are many more people who attempt suicide. And it's hard to know what state of mind these people were in at the time that they committed suicide or tried to. And that's why I want to shout this out People need to stop judging other people. You don't know the state of mind those people were in. You know, that's one of the reasons why victims and their families don't seek help, because they're afraid of what people might think about them. You need to stop judging people. I wish I had an amen right there. The reason you think may not always be what you think it is. Here's what I found just spending a little bit of time on the Internet, just researching, getting ready for this service. The FDA conducted research and surveyed the data of 10-year span for suicidal cases to find the underlying causes for the negative thoughts that forced someone to end their life. At the end of that 10-year year report, it was analyzed that 80% of those cases were triggered as a side effect caused by 832 medications. I don't have the time to list all those medications for you, but I will say this. These are the categories that the medications were in anti convulsant medicines, that's seizure medicine, analgesics, that's pain relief, antidepressants, sedatives, that's sleep aids. Anti-hypertension, that's blood pressure medicine. Anti-asthma, anti-smoking, contraceptives, anti-acne, anti-psychotics, stimulants, urinary medicine. All these things have side effects that could cause suicidal thoughts. Again, that's why people need to stop judging because you don't know what was in that person's mind. I've heard preachers at funerals of those who committed suicide. Some of them said they went to heaven. Others said they went to hell. And I know one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. But you know what I wanted to say to those preachers? Who died made you God. Because again, brothers and sisters, God is the only one who determines the eternal state of someone. He's the only one who knows the state of mind they were in and how their heart is with him. And the families have been through enough already. So stop. Judging. Amen. Real quickly, I want to share a couple things with you. Two lies a lot of people believe when it comes to suicide. Fables that people believe. This is taken from the book Suicide Prevention, Hope When Life Seems Hopeless. Fable number one, never talk about suicide with a depressed person. It'll give them ideas. That's a lie. Because the fact is asking somebody how they feel does not create suicidal thoughts. In fact, you could assume that most depressed people have had the thought of taking their life. You know why? Because the devil puts that thought in their mind because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everybody he can. If you think someone is struggling with suicidal thoughts, ask them, have you ever thought about suicide? What has been so painful that you think that you cannot live through it. Talk to me, because I want to tell you something. For a person considering suicide, having someone to talk to can be a powerful preventive. Be willing to talk to them about that. Don't be quiet, because Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw them out. Fable number two. Well, people people who talk about killing themselves never do it. That's false. The fact is, of those who took their own lives, approximately 75% gave clues or warnings to friends or family. As Mr. Mullen said a little while ago, most of the time it's not the person who will come and talk to somebody, it's their friends who will come and tell somebody because that person told their friend. You see, take any threat of suicide seriously. Someone who talks about suicide is giving others the opportunity to intervene in their lives. Because the fact is, friend, every sheep needs a shepherd. You know, the thing about sheep is they're covered with wool. And if a sheep crosses a stream and its wool becomes saturated with the water, the top-heavy sheep will then topple over in the water. And the sheep is said to be cast down. And without the aid of a shepherd, that sheep will literally die. Because it cannot get back up again. It needs a shepherd to help it back up. Well, if you're listening to me today, if you've become so heavy burdened that you're falling under the weight that you are carrying, you need the shepherd, Jesus. You need his strong hand to come and help pick you back up and help you because it is a matter of life or death. He wants you to live. We want you to live and not die. You know, the psalmist clearly understood tragedy and despair when he wrote in psalm forty two eleven, why are you cast down O my soul and why are you disturbed within me put your hope in god for i shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and he is my god my friends you can praise god through what you're facing and he will come and help you he will come to your rescue Finally, I want to share three things with you. I'm going to go through these very quickly. I'm just going to read them off. The list will be on the screen, but these are three stages of being cast down. Someone who is going down the path of wanting to commit suicide. This is the path they will take. The step the first step is the early stage. They will go through dejection. You might see a change in eating and sleeping habits. They'll start avoiding family, There'll be a decline in work or school performance. They'll have anxiety. They'll have an inability to concentrate or make decisions. Uh, There'll be boredom, and there'll be a lack of interest in the future. They won't even want to talk about the future. That's the early stage. The second stage is the advanced stage. In addition to depression and withdrawal from family and friends, you'll see rapid mood swings, physical problems like self-injury or anorexia, self-pity, Excessive absences from work or school. Either apathy or anger. And neglect of their personal hygiene or their personal appearance. They'll, start to, they'll stop caring about how they act and how the way they appear. And the third and final stage, this is the danger stage. This is where there, there is hopelessness. It gives way to personal, they start giving way personal possessions. They'll find, you'll see them have deep remorse. Uh, They'll start having suicidal threats or they will have previous attempts of suicide. They'll start abusing alcohol or drugs. They'll start organizing their personal affairs. They'll start making out a will and paying off their debts, making their final arrangements. They will see them isolate themselves or have a morose behavior. And here's one that most people don't know. There'll be a sudden change from depression to cheerfulness. The reason for that is because they'll become at peace with the idea of killing themselves. Now, a lot of friends and family will report how happy these people were and thought that everything was fine and everything had worked out for the best. But what it is, they have settled in their mind once and for all, this is what I'm going to do, and they have made up their mind, and they start getting happy about that. But listen to me, if you're experiencing any of these physical or emotional problems, you need to consult your healthcare professional immediately. And whatever you do, let us pray for you today. Don't leave here today because Jesus can help you in the midst of this crisis. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 4 says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. My friends, there is hope for you today because you're still alive. There is hope and his name is Jesus. You know, life is hard, and choices in life often consist of unpleasant possibilities. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and his name is Jesus. And he wants to walk with you into that new future. A friend of mine right now by the name of Janice is battling cancer. And she's going through a tough time. She's gone through chemo already, and she's facing surgery, but they keep postponing the surgery because her body is too weak. She's keeping her faith in God, but it's hard to understand why she's going through this. She asked me that question, why am I going through this? And I shared with her a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, God comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, God helps us through trouble so we can help others going through trouble as well. And today you have heard from people today who have been through a tragedy. And I want to tell you the same God who brought them through it can bring you through it. There is nothing impossible with God And he wants to restore to you what the devil has tried to steal. He wants to heal you what the devil has tried to take away because the devil is a liar. But Jesus wants to give you life.
0: This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.